Hey, what's up? It's Moses. Baby Moses, as you can see. I'm just a little helpless baby floating down a river. I, is anyone else concerned about this? Little baby floating down a river? Hello? I, are we okay with what's going down? Really? All right, so here's what's up. I'm a Hebrew, and we Hebrews live in Egypt. And the Egyptians, they, they don't like us Hebrews. Uh, and it's because of this guy, Pharaoh. I mean, what a piece of work this guy is. He's like the king, um, but he's still all scared of us Hebrews. I mean, seriously, look at me. I'm just a little baby for crying out loud. I mean, tell me, who's afraid of this face, huh? I, I'm, I'm too cute, and you know it. So this Pharaoh dude decides that all the Hebrew babies have to be killed because he's afraid of Hebrew babies. I mean, it's crazy, right? I, am I wrong? And my mom, Jochebed, like, she doesn't want me to be killed, of course. So mom, or, or Jochebed, you can call her Jochebed, I, I just call her mom. I mean, she comes up with this plan to save me, and it's to stick me in a basket and float me down the river. Am I the only person around here concerned that a helpless baby is floating down the river in a basket surrounded by crocodiles? Hello? Grown-ups? Anyone? Little help? Hey, did you hear that? It sounds like ladies talking. Yeah, look over there. Ladies! Time to turn on the old Baby Moses charm. It's irresistible, you know. Hey, ladies! Over here! So, some years ago, Reader's Digest had a story of a mom with eight children, all under the age of 12. She was married to a man who served our country in the military and who had been stationed in Germany. He had to go first, and so she's traveling on a 15-hour nonstop flight alone with eight children under the age of 12. When they arrive, they go through customs, and an agent asks her, are you traveling with any guns or drugs? She looked at him sternly and said, sir, if I was, I would have used them by now. <laughs> so welcome to the Hills. If you're watching online, if you're in person at North Richard Hills, South Lake, or West Fort Worth campus, and a special shout out to all of the moms who are with us. Now, you're always special, but ladies, this past year, you took it to a whole nother level. And I hope you get the honor today. You are so due. And some of you want to be parents someday. And let me just tell you, it is the hardest job you will ever love. You will love it because children are a gift from the Lord. And it is hard. Because every culture has values and priorities and narratives that threaten children and their development of faith. So in order to deliver children from unbelief, parents must first be delivered from unbelief. And we're going to talk about that today. If you're new with us, we're in the series called Delivered. And we're using the Exodus story to discern how God still wants to deliver us from the kinds of bondages that can chase us. And we saw the last two weeks that God's special chosen agent for this deliverance story was a man named Moses. He called him at a burning bush. But we want to go back now 
And we want to realize that if it wasn't for his mother, there would have been no Moses to deliver the people. So you might recall in chapter 1 of Exodus, the Pharaoh has become concerned about the burgeoning population of Hebrew people in this country. And so he sows a narrative of bigotry and distrust and convinces his people that the Hebrews are now a threat. And all his attempts to uh, curtail their growth have failed. And so finally, he just blatantly proposes genocide. Let's just throw every baby boy of the Hebrew people into the Nile River. Imagine living under that kind of world and pressure. So we pick up in chapter 2 the rest of the story. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Now later we're going to learn that the two parents in this story are named Amram and Jochebed. And they already have two children. They have a precocious and talented daughter named Miriam. And they have a three-year-old son, already more articulate than most boys his age, named Aaron. And then Amram comes home from a hard day of making bricks. And he sees a look on his wife's face. And he can't quite tell if it's joy or fear or both. And she says, I'm pregnant. And there's no way back then to know the sex of the child. So you just have to live for nine months. What do we do if it's a boy? Imagine living daily with the fear that your child's ethnicity could put your child in danger. Imagine being a Jewish mama in Eastern Europe in the 1930s as the Nazi regime is coming to power. Imagine being a mother in the former nation of Yugoslavia when that country tore up and the ethnic cleansing began. Or during the genocide in Rwanda. Or in the history of our own nation we must own where simply being of a different ethnicity could mean your life was threatened. That's what they're living with. You see, typically you find out you've had a baby boy, you throw a party. And you send out birth announcements. You don't do that when the Pharaoh has said every baby boy is thrown in the river. 
But instead of cowering, this is a story of parental resolve and courage and faith. And the Hebrew writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us some insight into his parents. It says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's eating. Now, I must add, I always get a little tickled by the phrase, they saw he was no ordinary child. Does any parent say that about their kid? Does any parent say, now my daughter, she is so artistic and gifted and my son is so athletic and that third one, nothing special at all, just kind of ordinary. No one does that. But here's what we know. The birth of a child often ignites a rebirth of faith. That's your story. Some of you weren't even walking with God until you became a parent. Some of you had walked away from God, but something about becoming a parent brought you back to the Lord. That becoming a parent made true values more apparent. And so even as Jochebed delivers Moses, God delivers her from the fear that she has no say in the future of her son. And so she thinks of the one place the military police would not look for a Hebrew baby boy, the Nile River. And so she gets this basket and she coats it with tar and pitch and she puts her son in the basket. Now, she did not send her son floating down the river. She secured that basket in some reeds along the bank of the river. Notice, not so the baby would be hidden, but so the baby would be found. She knew the bathing habits of Pharaoh's daughter. And she is counting on that common female compassion to rescue her son. She is believing that when that woman hears a baby crying, something deep within her is going to respond with mercy. And she takes her daughter Miriam and they practice over and over and over. Now, honey, this is what is going to happen. And when it happens, this is what you're going to walk up and this is what you're going to say. She is a brilliant mom. And by the way, I don't think the author of Exodus wants us to miss the fact that Pharaoh, the mightiest man on earth, keeps having his plans ruined by women. In chapter 1, the two Hebrew midwives won't kill the babies like he wants. In chapter 2, this Jewish mama and this Jewish little girl upset his entire plan. It reminds me of a story of a uh, loved one. And the doctor came into the family and said, I'm sorry, but the only hope is a brain transplant. And brain transplants are very expensive. How much do they cost, they said. Well, $2 million for a man's brain, $200,000 for a woman's brain. Well, some of the male family members had to stifle a smirk, but a female said, why does a man's brain cost so much more than a woman's brain? He said, that is a standard pricing practice. We have to mark down a woman's brain because it has been used. <laughs> Jochebed has used her brain. And she winds up getting paid to do exactly what she wants to do. 
But know that she and Amram did more than just nurture their son physically. In those days, you didn't wean a child for a few months, but for a few years. And so they have a few years, impressionable years, to pour deep into their son and have him drink deep from the faith of their fathers. And they delivered to their son a story that's going to combat all the stories he's going to hear in Pharaoh's palace and inspire their boy to one day want to become a deliverer. And to deliver our children, we need to pair it with the same kind of faith. May God deliver us from the unbelief that we cannot impact the next generation. And I want to show you, inspired by Jochebed, three ways we can. First, faith insists that God has a purpose for every child. Why did God choose Moses? Why not choose Aaron? Aaron's already been born. He was born before the edict was ever made. He is a smart young man. Why don't you just use Aaron, God? Maybe God wanted the chosen deliverer to experience deliverance himself. Do you realize we don't know Moses' birth name? We don't know what they called him the first few months. Pharaoh's daughter called him Moses because she delivered him out of the water. So think about this. Every time young Moses heard his name, he was reminded that he had been rescued. Every time he heard his name, he remembered that he had been delivered when it seemed hopeless. See, God has a reason for every child to be born. I think that's what it means when they said they saw he was no ordinary child. I think what it means is there's a reason God wants right now in this time for us to have another baby. Parents may not mean to get pregnant, but no child is an accident. No child is just kind of ordinary to the Father in heaven. Paul says in Ephesians, he saw us and chose us before the foundation of the earth. I like how that verse is rendered in the paraphrase called the message. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and every one. See, children need to know they're special to God. And somehow Amram and Jochebed instilled that in their son. The uh, Quaker philosopher Rufus Jones in his autobiography tells a neat story. He's a young man and his parents are leaving for the day and they ask him to weed the vegetable garden. But some buddies come along, and they're going fishing, and he joins them, and it's hard to leave when the fish are biting. So he gets in late at night, and he has not done his chore, expecting severe discipline. He said a miracle happened. His mother took him into his room, put him in a chair. She got down on her knees, put her hands on him, and she began to pray over her son. She prayed for her hopes for her son. She prayed her dreams over her son. She prayed all the expectations of the man he could become over her son, and even her disappointment that that day he had not lived up to those expectations. 
And she closed her prayer, oh God, take this boy of mine and make him the man he's divinely designed to be. And then she kissed him and left the room, as he put it, with the silence of God. What a brilliant mother. To say to her son, you're not ordinary. You're God's man. And my prayer is that you become everything he designed you to be. Children need to know they're special to God. Parents need to know you're special to God. I know of a professor and uh, author who lives in the academic world. And to be honest, the academic world sometimes can be a little snobbish. And so often at dinner parties and events, uh, his wife, who is a very smart person and who chose, rather than pursuing an academic career, to, to raise their two children and be a, a homemaker, would often be asked, what do you do? And when she said, I, I raise my kids at home, they would look at her almost with pity. So they're at a dinner party one time, and someone asked his wife, what do you do? And to his surprise, she said, I'm socializing two homo sapiens in the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. What do you do? <laughs> Moms and dads, you are special to God. And faith insists that God has a purpose for your child. But that insistence is going to meet with some resistance. And so we must overcome unbelief and believe and understand that faith resists enemy attempts to claim the next generation. Amram and Jochebed did not passively resign to the demand of the prevailing culture to control the future of their children. They were determined to raise their kids in Egypt, but not of Egypt. And they did. Because again, the Hebrew writer, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, after he comments on their faith, says this about the son they raised. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of the king of Egypt's daughter. He chose to suffer with God's people instead of enjoying sin for a short time. He thought it was better to suffer for the Christ than have all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking for God's reward. I don't know what they did in those first few years, but there are two things that they intended to instill that took root. And one, they gave their son an incredible sense of identity. He chose not to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be known as a son of the people of God. Parents, we must intentionally challenge the identity narratives of our culture that are trying to claim our kids. I listened recently to a podcast of a pastor I really admire named Tim Keller. I've mentioned him a number of times. And he talked in that podcast about all the identity heresies from the right and from the left that are floating around today. The therapeutic model that says you let your deepest inner desires define who you are. And you find your identity from what you want and feel inside. Nowhere does the scripture say your desires are your chief identity. Or there is the victim model that says you find your identity in being marginalized or oppressed. Now listen, marginalization and oppression are real. But scripture never says you find your primary identity in your victimhood. 
And then there's the model that's growing in the world of nationalism. All over the world, you see this tribalism developing. I'm not talking about patriotism, which is a good thing. I'm talking about the kind of bigotry that says, we are us and you're not us, and so we don't want you with us. And there is an ugly Christian version of it where you wrap the cross in a flag and basically say, you're not even a Christian unless you're my kind of American. Let me tell you, the culture has all these narratives out there trying to claim your children. And so what we must do is speak to them and let them know you were created by God. You were made male or female in the image of God. You were called by Christ. You are covered in Christ. And your primary allegiance and citizenship is to the kingdom of God. They did that for Moses. He knew who he was. And another thing they did that was amazing. They instilled in their son a desire for God's reward more than man's. He could have had the best of Egypt. And somehow he decides, I don't want the temporary. I'm about more than just seeing how much pleasure I can pack into a lifetime. I want to hear the well done of God. And here's the thing. No child is an accident. And no child is going to accidentally escape the pool of culture. And so, moms and dads, we have to build baskets for our kids. I could not help but reflect this week on some of the baskets my parents built for me. Some of you know my parents didn't grow up in believing houses. My mom and dad were the first Christian marriage on either side of my family. And some of the baskets they built are blessing me to this day. You know, one of them was we went to church all the time. If we traveled, the idea that we would let a ball team or any other club cause us to miss church was unthinkable. We went to church. If one of us got sick, if my brother got sick, the whole family didn't stay home. One parent stayed with the sick child and the other parent brought me to church. They were building a basket for me. Another basket was their Bibles. I remember my mom and dad, and, and the way they would, they would study their Bibles, I remember as a child opening their Bibles and seeing the notes in the margins. That was a basket. Another basket was their generosity. I remember walking where dad pays bills, and every week, the very first check he wrote every week was a tithe to the church. Another basket, I don't even know if they knew they were doing this, was the way they worshiped. My mom and dad worshiped God. I remember standing beside them. I don't ever remember my mom or my dad said, I'm not going to sing that song. I don't like it. I'm not going to sing that song because I don't know it. Even into his 80s, my dad, if I bring him to church, he doesn't know a single song and he sings every word as loud as he can. I never remember watching my parents watch worship. I watched my parents worship. That was a basket. And I'm so thankful they built it. I don't think it's a coincidence that right after Paul in Ephesians talks about family, the very next thing he talks about is spiritual warfare. Parents must intentionally combat the prevailing powers. And by the way, the church has got to rise up and help them. That's why in our next vision, you've heard me talk about nations and generations. And we're going to be very specific. And there's going to be a role for everybody. Whether you're 8 or you're 88, there's going to be a way for you to bless kids. And it starts next week with our Renew Offering. I think of our 14 partners, I think at least 12 of them help 
kids from in the womb all the way through high school. And by being generous next week, by going way beyond our normal tithe, we are going to say we are standing with and we're standing for the next generation. May God deliver us from the unbelief that we can't impact the next generation. And one more thing faith does. It persists because it knows God can deliver. Did you notice that when I read that long text earlier in this sermon, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, not one time did I say the word God. God is never mentioned in that text. You ever feel like you're trying to raise your kids all by yourself? I hope this story will encourage you to remember that God is always at work, even when you can't see it. And the plans of God will not be thwarted by the schemes of men. Just look at all the ways that God turned the table on Pharaoh. Pharaoh's means of execution, the river, became Moses' means of salvation. Pharaoh said, I'll let the girls live. Well, one of the girls that got to live became a big player in the redemption plan. A mother saves her son by doing what Pharaoh ordered and put him in the river. A member of the royal court is going to raise the boy that is going to destroy the royal court. And a mother gets paid to do what the powers said she could not do. Pharaoh picked a fight with the wrong God. And so, moms and dads, trust in God. Like Amram and Jochebed. Hardest job you will ever love. But trust in God. Because here's the thing. You're going to have to entrust your kids to God. You see, it took great faith for Jochebed to take her baby and put him in that river. But I'm going to argue, it took even more faith for her to take her boy and put him in Pharaoh's palace. And she delivered Moses to Pharaoh's daughter because she believed God would deliver him from Pharaoh's control. See, here's the thing. We don't save our kids. God does. He loves them more than we do. And so let me just speak a word to all of you struggling to parent. What a hard job. Some of you are having to do it by yourself. Some of you are watching your kids make bad choices. Some of you might even have a child who's walked away from the Lord. Keep trusting God. Because we don't save our kids. God does. In my morning devotions the last couple of weeks, I've been in the book of Lamentations. And I came across a portion of text that has really ministered to me as a dad. 
and I want to bless you with it. But I have hope when I think of this. The Lord's love never ends. His mercies never stop. They are new every morning. Lord, your loyalty is great. I say to myself, the Lord is mine, so I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who hope in Him, to those who seek Him. It is good to wait quietly for the Lord to save. God is in the delivery business. So put your hope in God. I want us to pray together. And let me just add, somebody built your basket. Maybe it was your mom or your dad or your grandparents or a coach or a youth minister. Somebody built the basket that rescued you. If they're alive today, you tell them thanks. But right now, you thank God. Everyone, let's bow our heads. You take a moment. I want you to thank God. God, for the people that built your basket. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you for all the people that stood with us, who fought for us, who guided and directed and protected us and nurtured us in faith. We honor them and believe by doing so we honor you because it was no accident that they were in our lives. So help us, God, to become the people they prayed over us to become. And help us to help the next generation do the same. Give us more faith, God. In the future and in our kids. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.